Hello and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Chris Duffin. So after completing a degree and a master's in engineering, Chris went on to have an almost 20 year career being a turnaround expert in the aerospace, automotive and industrial equipment sectors. However, he moved on to the sport performance world where he used his engineering background to help create game-changing products in the strength world. Next to the product creation he does for Kabuki Strength, he's also a recognized powerlifter, where he holds the Guinness World Record for the heaviest sumo deadlift of all time at 1,001 pounds for almost three repetitions. He also completed the same feat with a 1,001 pound squat, making him the only human in history to have squatted and deadlift over 1,000 pounds for reps. So who better today to discuss the use of speciality bars than the man who makes them and trains with them? So without further ado, it's time to welcome Chris onto the show. So Chris, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Yeah, looking forward to some good discussion this morning or evening, whichever. Even in my end, morning, your end. You've got a, you've got a full day ahead of you. I've got the freshest version of you, and you've got the worst version of me. So uh, <laughs> we'll uh, we'll muddle through it. Um, so Chris, for those who don't know who you are, can you give us a quick introduction to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Uh, yes. Yeah, so I am. Uh, uh, God, it's a little tough to explain. Uh, so I'm myself, right? Uh, that's my job in the industry is to, uh, do and chase the things I believe in. So, uh, my background is really engineering. And then, uh, so I took a deep dive, you know, well, long time. So I've been a high level athlete. That's where maybe a lot of people know me from. I, I did some feats of strength, some things that people haven't done before. I was number one in the world. Uh, in the 220 class, uh, for eight years straight, neither the squat, the deadlift or the total. And then I kind of exited that due to some trauma to my elbows that was really holding me back from, you know, really hitting the numbers that I wanted and decided to just chase the squat in the deadlift. And so I'm the only person that is both, I squatted a thousand pounds for three repetitions, actually in 2020 and in 2016, I had deadlifted a thousand pounds for, well, I didn't lock out quite lock out the third rep, but I like to say three reps for both. Um, and at the time I was the, you know, first person to ever do that, uh, sumo stance and by far the lightest, uh, uh, regardless, it was the Guinness world standing Guinness world record for the uh, sumo deadlift for quite some time. But, um, I'm kind of more of a, I guess, renowned expert in the biomechanics world. So award-winning designer on a uh, new product innovation, uh, and, uh, on the educational front, uh, really diving into a lot of this gray area of like return to play. Uh, so like I said, about 15 years ago, I started taking a deep dive from my engineering into a uh, kinesiology, um, uh, developmental kinesiology, uh, neurology, things of that nature, and started forming some really interesting relationships with really the kind of leaders in those arenas and became, started lecturing with, with those, which is really strange being on stage, you know, you know, to a room of 150 doctors, you know, lecturing when it's like, I don't have a degree in this subject, but I know I am the expert. So, <laughs> um, and, uh, so, uh, it was in 2016 or sorry, 2015, I actually founded uh, Kabuki Strength. I'd owned a gym on the side. I, and the time I, I founded this, I think I was uh, doing a turnaround for an aerospace manufacturing company. 
but it was just time to really chase what I knew that I could do better, which was uh, take, you know, <laughs> my abilities, I guess, or what I really my my values and passion and apply that to trying to help people live a better quality of life through the development of strength. And I think there's three major components to make that happen. You got to have the right equipment, the right methods, <clears throat> and uh, the right environment. And that environment is really kind of like your internal environment as well, right? And a big part of that. And that's the, the Kabuki squat face. Like, get your game day face on. We can provide the equipment and methods, and that's what we do. Uh, so we're a very unique company. And uh, a few years after that, because I, I spent a lot of time around controlling and managing spine biomechanics, because that has the largest global output and impact on the body, the second topic behind that that I believe has the largest global impact in the systematic of, you know, approach to that, that of what I do is the foot and ankle complex. And so I've been doing lecture on foot and ankle health, uh, for quite some time and, and really, I think influenced the field quite a bit in that manner in the strength curriculum and end up, uh, developing a, a shoe brand as well called, uh, barefoot, uh, barefoot athletics, like a bear. <laughs> Which yeah. is just a quick clever, clever. tangent yeah. for, uh, for, for clever because I grew up homeless in the wilderness, running around with bears at times. <laughs> and, uh, which is a best selling, uh, memoir actually, uh, it is about my upbringing, uh, in that environment. So I, you know, dealt with murderers, serial killers, human trafficking, all sorts of wild fucking shit. And, uh, so yeah, I've had a pretty interesting scope of life. Going from there, took custody, raised all my three sisters while I pursued my dual engineering degree and my MBA to get them out of the really bad environment that we were in. And then next thing you know, I developed and I was this sought after turnaround executive in, in that sector, running automotive, aerospace, industrial manufacturing companies coming in, doing turnarounds, you know, growth from a regional to national presence and and then I threw that all aside and rebuilt my life uh, once again, which is the book, The Eagle and the Dragon. The first half <laughs> uh, being finding your strengths and realizing who you are and driving people on that uh, that interpersonal journey journey that's involved with that. And the second half of the book, The Dragon, the Ouroboros. And by the way, these are two tattoos that cover my entire body. One is being an eagle and the other being a dragon. And... <clears throat> Uh, the Ouroboros wraps my entire upper body, and that, that is a symbolism of the purposeful decision of deciding who you want to be and becoming that. I mean, when you put that all in one nice paragraph, and I'm like, cool, we're going to discuss speciality bars. I'm like, yeah, did I choose the wrong topic here? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the speciality bars are cool, but that's some I other stuff we can discuss too. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do quite a bit of speaking, actually, a lot of times more on the uh, the philosoph philosophical side, the motivational and more of the uh, the personal growth journey right now, uh, something I really enjoyed. And I'm actually launching a component uh, of that, a mentorship program with my second book. Well, I'm actually working on two books right now, uh, but my second book. Actually, my third one's probably going to beat this one to market. Yeah. <laughs> but, so, say, so I guess it'll be my third book. Uh, is 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 really around that. It's actually tying a lot of what we do in the sports science section 
into a discovery role of how to propel your life, how to better understand your values and where you want to go. And so, you know, I, I've got it. It's the, these, uh, really understanding what cycle and phase you're in life. You find a lot of like leadership folks and they're really focused on, if you dive into it, like one area and it's kind of like where they're living at that time. And, and then we take a step back. So this cycle involves like, it's the six P's, the precipice, the plunge, the pit, and then the pole as you pull yourself up to the next highest peak, right? You know, load, yeah, come, yeah, stress yeah. plateau, then when's your timing, then you need to do it again, or right? But there's also micro cycles. So there's the meso cycles of doing that to actually grow larger in life, right? And if you don't, it's the same process if you, you quit in training, atrophy, death, you become weak, you know, weak of mind, weak of spirit, right? But there's, you can use the microcycles to, to actually develop the skill strengths that you need for the larger cycles of the pole to, to climb out of that. And so, which I actually did for 20 years of teaching, <laughs> uh, strategic and tactical, you, you know, development strategies individually and organizationally, as well as the human behavior component with my leaders in my organizations and still currently today. On, on an, you know, and a uh, self-awareness and intrapersonal and organizational behavior uh, standpoint. And so you actually practice developing those tools using microcycles of the same process and then pull that back. And anyway, long and short, and there's certain phases of this, like the plunge and other stuff that are different than the physical environment where you can actually help further refine and discover like what is driving you. What are your deeper values? How do you now use that to create the goals and this better North Star vision of how to create a life that can be that one of purpose and passion? You know, and that's at the end of the day what I want people to have. Now, my companies are all focused on the physical arm of mind, body, strength, which is like the so that's the other component is achieving balance with that because that's your workhorse to get through these cycles. Alright, I did that really fast. Yeah, that, was, that was a whistle stop tour. Um, right, I'm, I'm also conscious that, uh, despite doing that really fast, um, I don't want to steal your entire day, right? So you've got to go and write that book. Um, which means I want to ask you some questions on, on speciality yeah, yeah. bars as well. So, um, I think. Apologies for my divergence in not, there, not but at I, all. Like, we're, we're gonna, we're I, gonna I do think, that again I, in a minute. I think I handled that pretty, pretty well, uh, elevator pitch style. So. <laughs> I think, um, we'll, we'll probably loop back around and do loads of different diversions on the way as well, but. Um, speciality bars are obviously special. They're not the standard barbell. Um, and if you go into Globo Gym or whatever it is, like you, you're going to see a lot of standard barbells. Um, you might see a hex bar here and there and people are like, Ooh, what do you do with that? Um, but can you give us a quick rundown of what speciality bars are? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, first, you know, let's talk about the, the human body, right? And let's talk about the mechanics. So wherever possible, you know, we want to have the joints in what we call, you know, a neutral position. But it, what it means is, you know, you've, where you've got a balance of proper length tension relationships. Um, and as you do that, you're going to get greater development, be in greater positions, right? And so uh, oftentimes with a straight bar, straight bars are great, but you may have to have a, a massive amount of either coaching to try to learn. Okay, 
here's how to squat without actually having the bar like force a huge external rotational demand on the shoulder to put a lot of strain on that bicep tendon, uh, you know, to, to be in position. If you let those things ever come, you know, it's going to throw your torso forward. You're going to be not be able to stabilize as well because your diaphragm is not going to be oriented to, uh, to the pelvis and be able to create, um, that, that, that intra-abdominal pressure is effectively on and on and on, on, right? Right. So, uh, there's also individuality. We, you know, we have people of different needs. So we've got different lever links. So what may work for one person. So I'll, I'll use like, I don't know how popular basketball is in Australia, but like there's a, a few NBA players, they're outliers and people will see, they'll post their squats on social media and people will just rip them apart. You don't know what you're doing. Blah. And it's like, have you ever worked with an athlete like that? Because they can't squat like you. That's five, eight with, you know, <laughs> with a different, completely different torso to limb links. They can't physically do that with a load specifically at one point uh, in, you know, in relation to the hip and the foot. Okay. Yes, they can as a whole, all able-bodied humans can accomplish these. And I say able-bodied, right? Uh, humans can accomplish these basic patterns, but going ah with the load right there, maybe not. So, all right. So this, this is where specialty bars come in. So specialty bars allow for accommodation for the variability in mobility restrictions, uh, different frames, different sporting needs, as well as so those are the mind was as well as as we're doing that because what that accomplishes. It allows us to be in better positions. And as we're doing that, it's really important to understand that, you know, physiology, we put demand on the body. It adapts. Well, not all demand is adaptive demand. If you're if you're putting it on non-adaptive structures or you're not in the right positions, you're not in an efficient manner. So we can remove some of those non-adaptive where you're being in these poor positions, straining, you know, straining tissues that are not going to recover in the same manner and actually get a way far better training effect. And at the same time, actually improve the total movement patterns like that NBA player I was talking about. I can make them squat like that person that's built to squat just by changing a setting on a bar and getting that load, right, sitting so that we've get the uh, my transformer bar so I'm, uh, is the only bar in the world where we can actually move the load in space and it's relation to the hip joint. But what we're actually doing is the load always stays directly over the foot, right? It's physics you can't hang 300 pounds off the front of your body. It stays over the midfoot. So we're actually, what we're doing is manipulating the spinal mechanics. And so now we can, Somebody with those, you know, links that wouldn't be able to do that. And it sounds like really freaking ethereal and out there, but let me give you some really interesting examples knowing the audience in Australia, uh, right? Everybody thinks about specialty bars as this, an extra special thing for a development cycle for a power lifter, some strength athlete. I've proven that not to be the case. And I've proven that consistently I can deliver greater training effects and reduce injury rates. And in the U S right now, every single major league baseball team 
uses specialty bars. Kabuki. And so I'm just going to talk about our customer base. Kabuki is used in 100% of every Major League Baseball team. It's used in about 70% of the NFL and 80 or sorry, 70% of the yeah, NFL, 80% of the NBA. We're used in eight to 900 colleges, all the major colleges throughout the U.S. We're the top NHL teams. The uh, it every branch of the military. This is numerous of the you know basically all of the elite like specialty training centers that are developing collegiate and professional athletes in the U.S. The number of people in the sports performance world using specialty barbells is exponentially larger than those using them in the powerlifting and strength training worlds at this point. It has become the predominant go-to because they're able to get, particularly in these environments, they have a number of the outliers, right? Uh, and so they're able to get the training effect that they can take a squad of athletes that's on the no, no squat squad <laughs> because of either movement patterns, injury, wherever it is, and we can set them and actually have them squatting perfectly. You're getting a greater training effect. And here's the interesting thing. So I talked about the fact that <clears throat> we can manipulate, you know, non-adaptive stress and, adapt and adaptive stress by, you know, improving positioning. So here's the, let's throw fucking injury out the window or potential for injury, right? We can research and stuff like it. That, that gets an interesting topic. Here's the damn thing. I'm an engineer. All right. And I can tell you, it does not matter whether it's biological tissue or not. Everything has a limited capacity for loading, right? And if we use those structures more efficiently, what we're able to do is we can we can do more work. What does that more work mean? So if I'm recovering better and I don't have as much of accumulation of these non-adaptive stress, I'm gonna I'm gonna be recovering better because the recovery is gonna go to the stuff that I need to recover, which means what can I do? I can load more frequently, I can load at higher loads, and I can load at higher volumes. What does that mean? What does that mean? Way better adaptation, I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Bigger, stronger, faster. Yeah. That's the thing. And and that, that's the end of the day. That's what it is. Because it's like, if I'm in better positions, and if and that's what we create with these barbers. If I'm in better positions, I can load more frequently. So more loading in a given period of time. Straight, simple exercise physiology. More results. And that's how I did the fucking shit that I did, you know, proving this stuff, right? And so we can argue up and down on, on the other front all we want, but these are real basic. We're talking basic physics. And so proving this stuff, like let's talk about uh, another bar. So a uh, specialty barbell is – I have this called, it called the Cadillac barbell. So it's multi-book grip barbell. It doesn't mean, bar, you know, specialty barbells on all occasions are great. The multi-grip barbell or football bar has been around, I think, since the 70s. And anybody that's strong that's lifted for a while, no, they freaking suck. <laughs> you take them out of the barack and immediately it wants to crush your face. So you, like, choke up on one side, put your wrist wraps on because you can take it out and it goes, Poof. and then you take it down to your chest, touches your chest, gets out of position. 
But, you know, it, it takes that, you know, that huge, you know, uh, uh, you, you know, bias towards internal rotation of the shoulder, which is what creates a lot of issues. And we close that space for an internal and that we're always trying to fight on a straight bench. Boom. Gets you in that externally rotated position. But now we have induced instability at the end. So all I did is I took and arced the bar, all right, so that the load, it's a, it became a teeter, went from a teeter totter, right? You walk into a playground. This is playground physics. You don't need a math degree or anything. You walk into a playground and a teeter totter sits on one side or the other. Theoretically, there is a balance point, but it's infinitely perfect, which means you can never actually find it, right? So it's always going to be here because the center of mass is on the same rotational point as the center of rotation. Now a playground or a, a, a swing center of rotation is up here. Center of mass is down here. Boom. It may, it always you walk into a playground. Where's, where's the swing? It's not over here. It's not over here. It's sitting right here. Right? So we arc that. And then instead of having just fixed angles, okay, here we go in this plane. So the wider you go, the more, the more internal rotational bias you're going to have. So every angle is actually set like on this plane right here, leaving because it's like, well, let's not balance it perfectly. Just a little bit left, just a little bit to cue external rotation because, oh, the lat, oh, it's a big stabilizer muscle, right? That's actually how we pull the shoulder, right? Uh, through the core, attach it to the, you're right in here, which then ties to the hips, which ties the foot. And that's how we get, great motor pattern and neurological patterns, right? So you leave just a little left of that. So like I said, way out there ethereal. I went into major league baseball spring training the year with a prototype model. I had the idea. I'm like, I know this works and I had it in my head. Didn't have time to run it through my engineering and all that. So I just ran out on the shop. It's actually on my Instagram. You can see me like way back then. I had this big piece of rolled tube. I'm like, what am I making? <laughs> Threw it in my tube roller, welded this thing up and Flew out to uh, to um, Arizona, and so I love spring training because well, there's in the U.S. So half the teams all go to Arizona for spring uh, spring training, you know. So they spend a bunch of time. They play each other before the season starts and they're training, and the other half go to Florida. Well, in Arizona, it's all in one city, so usually I can go and run. I know all the I know all the teams. I can go and hit three four teams a day, right? And I know, again, baseball, I don't think is very big in Australia, right? But <laughs> not, not, nowhere apart from the US, right? Like in, uh, in Europe, no one plays it. Um, yeah. Japan do a little bit of a job, but yeah. I don't think so. Uh, you know, they, they've got these people that throw a ball and they're worth <laughs> yeah. millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. And so they are very afraid. The strength coaches are very afraid of having anything bench pressing or whatever related because. If they fuck up a shoulder, they've lost their job, right? <laughs> and but I also know most of these about, I swear, eighty percent of the the head strength coaches for Major League Baseballs all have bad shoulders themselves. And so I take the bar and because none and I go here we go. I know you guys are afraid, but you believe me on this other, you know, they, they very trusting relationship. But it's like. Their team all comes around that, you know, we're going through stuff. I'm like, Hey, here, try this bar. Oh, I, I can't. It's the same story multiple days in a row, three or four times a day. Not everyone. Cause like I said, about 
you know, so there's still some 20% that could bench press, but about 80% are like, I can't do that. Sorry. I haven't even been able to take a bar to my chest for like five years, bunch of them XX surgery, whatever the issue is. And I'm like, just try it. I did not have a single person that didn't purposely choose to put on two plates. <laughs> so a hundred kilo, uh, and, uh, yeah, we, we, they're yeah. actually 20. Yeah. They're 45 pound plates. So 20 kilo plates is what we use. 20 kilo bar. Um, that one was not our production model yet. So it wasn't quite that, but you know, so they were right around, right around. Yeah. A hundred kilos and doing them for reps <laughs> and their staffs are just sitting there like jaw drop. And they're just like, you get up. How bad does it hurt? Doesn't. And they were training to a three inch greater range of motion. Which is a lot. So it's the magic. The magic is it's not just, it's not just the mechanical structures we're talking about here. Right. So once we're getting everything stacked and we're in the right position, it starts changing the signaling to the body. And those signals then come right back out, right? It changes the neurological patterns of firing. It starts, instead of the inhibition of we've got danger here and sensing danger, tightening, you know, shutting off, you know, prime movers, which cause secondary, you know, uh, stabilizers to kick it. Like all of a sudden, somebody that can't even take an empty barbell to their chest without pain is bench pressing two plates for repetitions with no pain to a three inch greater range of motion. That's what fucking specialty barbells do. I can do the same exact thing with somebody that can't squat. It's freaking crazy. Now, does that work in every occasion? No. Like if somebody has got an internal rotational deficit, like, Oh heck, that's gonna, that's gonna cause a shoulder dump when they get towards the bottom, especially the extra range of motion. Right. I mean like, Oh, let's limit the range of motion or, Oh, Hey, you know, let's go in here and, you know, uh, open, you know, do a little, do a little ART for me at Boomstick into the, you know, pec minor page, pec, and then all of a sudden, oh, okay, you know, we've got return for a temporary length of time. Let's just talk about the science of this, right? Uh, soft tissue doesn't do anything; it only produces a short-term result. Oh yeah, yeah, it does. Well, now let's go train and load during that period, and what happens? Oh, the fucking adaption! Oh my god! Okay, <laughs> if we apply good patterns, ah, oh. Oh, you mean we got to think about it in a systematic approach and not just study that? Yeah, I fucking a hundred percent agree. <laughs> Some ecological <laughs> validity might be useful. Don't yeah, do anything beyond a short period of time. Uh, yeah, that's that's how it works. Now, what do you do with that? Oh, you're a fucking coach. You're a physio. Whoever, be fucking smart. Oh yeah, I could use that as a tool to actually create performance and change. Ah, oh, damn. Uh, <laughs> And I, I'm only arguing this stuff with the people that's online with uh, the people. It's always like within their first five years of being out of school. And I've got the research. Blah, you don't you don't have a degree. I'm like, <laughs> uh, you just don't have the experience yet. Have you? You haven't experienced this. And it's one on one every time. Like. <laughs> But in, in terms of those speciality bars, you've, you've laid out loads of different uh, of, uh, advantages there. I, which are your favorite to use? If you if you were like, right, I'm going to go to the gym later today. We're going to go lift some heavy stuff. What are your favorite bars to use, which really give like that that bang for buck change in mechanics, 
which allow you to perform yeah. Yeah, greater feats of strength. Um, that is, dude, do you have any kids? No. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say, Ooh, what's your favorite kid? You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, so, uh, what I did is, uh, created one general purpose bar and that'd be the Duffalo bar. So the Duffalo bar can basically be used for any squatting variation. So even front squats, really cool. Like people think about it, but back squats, put it on the front squat. What does it do? It doesn't want to roll away, which means people don't want to try to chase it, which, oh, that affects your patterns, right? Oh, people that have mobility restrictions that can't get in here. Oh, the angle. Oh, that cues this, right? Um, what, what, what take does that the Duffalo bar look like for the people who are listening? Oh, and, sorry. And, yeah, because uh, people listen. are going to just listen. Like, what, yeah, can you yeah. describe that for us? So the Duffalo bar is an arced bar. And so there's several now that are kind of uh, out there on the market. Uh, but it's the, the design of the one that I did has actually a couple arcs in it. It's a little hard to see that the differentiation there. But you actually want it straight across the top of the back or where it sits on your back and then the arc out. And then you want the right angle of the arc around the bench pressing area as well. So a 15, sorry, um, a 10 degree angle there. What it's going to do when you reach out in front of yourself to hold the bar over your head, uh, that ulnar deviation, the wrist, when the thumb area has to reach a little bit further is actually going to cue the external rotation as well. So you're immediately going to get some of the effects that we talked about already and the greater range of motion as well. So, uh, and that's going to affect incline, overhead pressing, overhead again, it's going to cue that external because they, that, again, that shape of the hand. So, uh, so it's really incredible for basically any squatting or pressing variations. Front squat, again, because of the arc, the bar won't roll. So you're not fighting that. Uh, with your wrists positioning, you know, a, a little bit of forward angle with your shoulders as you try to chase that bar a little bit when it, when it's trying to roll away from you. So it's an incredible all around all purpose barbell. And then, so for every one of the lifts, I designed a specific barbell. So <clears throat> the transformer bar is the only bar in the world like it. It's patented. Uh, I think there's some really cheap knockoffs coming out of China that are accessible in Australia. And I shouldn't tell people I have to probably try to find them. Shoot yourself like, in the foot that, man. Anyway, whatever. Um, <laughs> people are going to do what they do. And I, I don't, yeah. I do this for other, sometimes I'm not a very good businessman because I care. <laughs> <laughs> I care about the end. <clears throat> so the transformer bar is, Similar to people look at it and go, oh, that's an expensive safety squat bar. Yes, it looks like a safety squat bar, but there's a couple unique things about it. So one, uh, let's just talk about safety squat bars. So safety squat bars do do this in effect, but they have one position. And so you're only getting like one potential outcome from it. And so what I did is freed up where that load can be in space. So you can move how far away that bar, the load is from center up to about six inches and you can rotate it in space. So what can I, what does that mean? Well, so anybody's going like, what did I mean earlier with the foot, you know, load over the foot? What, what's the application? You get somebody in new and you're trying to teach them like, you know, how to uh, get that great, you know, cylinder within the torso and, you know, activation of the core and all these things going on. 
what do you do? You just give them a kettlebell and you say, hold it in front of you and you show them to squat and it happens. Well, that's why that happens. Okay. The things that, so that's why a goblet squat. Now that doesn't automatically, so that brings some awareness to the person. Then you got to transfer it to a back squat, but it doesn't necessarily always work because you're actually creating that environment by putting the load in front. Unfortunately, well, just goblet squat, right? That's kind of limiting on your shoulders and your biceps, a little bit leader than, weaker than the hip complex, you know? So it's great for cueing, could be great for some other stuff, but it's not a development exercise, right? <clears throat> so that's an example. So we can move through space with that. I can mimic a front squat position. I can mimic a, a safety squat bar position all the way up to all these different patterns. And so what's crazy is you start applying this and you'll start seeing changes. Like it's incredible. Like, you know, the people that are, you know, the knees caving in on the squat, like all these stuff just clean up. Like once we actually get the load in the right area, all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, they're just squatting between their hips. The spine's upright. They've got the, you know, stacked cylinder of the core and there they are. And you won't even cue anything and you'll find people are moving better and squatting like six inches deep. I mean, it's just like the depth of the squats. And so here's the thing. We always think about the safety squat bar because it does put the load in front of you, which lights up the posterior chain, right? Because now you've got a rotational component on the complex that's driving you forward. Well, if we change the positioning in such a manner that it's doing that, you'll find that you're going much deeper and you're getting a far superior anterior development at the same time. Oh, wait, wait, the two working together, what do we call Oh, that'd be a little bit more athletic development, I would think, right? Or let's say I want, I'm developing a, a power lifter or something like that. And I'm trying to, to, to get more out of, you know, squatting, uh, eliciting more of a hinge pattern in their squat, right? I could actually do the same thing, bring the weight back into a back squat position or even further back, driving more of that forward lean. Um, that's going to take more coaching to maintain positions and all that other stuff, but that's the population you're working with. So you can elicit all sorts of different effects with this thing. I, like I said, I squatted a thousand for three in the hard settings on that bar, 550 for three. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so that's what that bar does. Now, here's a couple things. I don't like safety squat bars. There's two things. A lot of times we use safety squat bars in interventions when we've got like shoulder health problems. And a lot of times, one, the bar can be too, if you're dealing with a population that's not a powerlifting population, for example, a 75 bar pound barbell might be too much. So transform bar and take the sleeves off. It's 35 pounds. I guess they'll have to convert this stuff into kilos. So yeah, a 15 I'm, I'm kilo, doing the in my head. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like a 30 kilo bar, right? Yeah. The other is, you might have oftentimes, not oftentimes, but uh, a subset of times, you'll get innervation issues if it's shoulders because of all the pressure sitting right on the traps. And so there's actually a curve inside the pad and it wraps up and over the shoulders. And anybody that puts the R bar, there's like, it is the most comfortable, like, so the pad sits on the back. So now you're not getting, uh, so you end up with two things, either that massive pressure on the trap or people ride the bar high which then creates a sheer stress on the cervical spine. And I just know a lot of people that have issues from that, from using uh, uh, safety squat bars. The other is they've got these short little high handles, just like a front squat. What happens when you watch somebody squat towards fatigue 
or towards max effort in a safety squat bar or front squat. Oh, you see a breakdown at the TL junction. They round over right there. And you're like, oh, that's what that bar is for. It's making them strong. No, it's because they don't have great integration of the ability to actually cue and engage the lat muscle, which is a key spinal stabilizer. And actually, and how we pull, again, I mentioned on the bench press, tie the shoulder complex into the core, right? So I've got the bend within that, and then it rolls in. I'm sorry. I feel like I'm doing a sales pitch. Um, <laughs> I hope people enjoy the conceptual engineer like concepts from yeah. a, uh, I am not trying to pitch you on my stuff. I don't even think my stuff is very available there. So, but it's, this stuff relates to anything, right? It's, it's like, think about things like we get used in the, let me finish this and then I'll dive back what I'm saying. So <laughs> the handles roll down into a position that then allows you to actually engage the lats. Oh my God. And then of course, <clears throat> The, uh, the trap bar. Uh, so there's a lot of them out there, the hex bar. Um, so the only thing that I, that we've done differently that I saw was a miss in the market is just the variability again for, you know, different applications like the NBA, NFL players, big, large frame guys. Like by the time they reach down because of, their feet are going to be a little wider. It's not because they're necessarily doing a wide stance that like they still have the same angle at the hip, but their, their feet are going to be wider down at the bottom and their arms are going to be out there. Right. You've got younger athletes, you know, do you, sometimes you want, may want the snatch grip type thing, but sometimes we don't. So having variability of the width, right. The openness. So now it's not a trap bar and here's a big, so this, the trap bar is my, my favorite child. A transformer is because it's the most incredibly unique patented and whatnot, but like the most usable, it's specific, it's squatting. The open trap bar is not a trap bar. It is the most useful barbell in the world. You can do more with it than you can a straight bar and more better. Okay. And that's what makes it so incredible. Once we open that frame up, we can do a lot of athletic development patterns. We can do rear leg elevated split squats, lunges, carries, all sorts of things. I could do a bent over row and be a little closer and tighter to my body. I can pop it up, right? I can roll that into position, which I can't with a uh, another bar. Do overhead presses, right? I could do seal rows on a bench to a greater range of motion because it's not going to interfere. I could do ab rollouts because my head's not going to, the list goes on and on. It's crazy. But you need, people don't know uh, the, the the intricacies of why the high handle position works. And this is something we do different. It's not the high handle, but the low handle. People don't like the low handle, not because it's a greater range of motion. They don't know why. It's the playground physics things again. If it's dead on center, center of, center of rotation and center of mass on the thing. It's always wanting to chase. You pick it up for a carry. It wants to roll. Carry it wants really sorry about that. I get so excited. I freaking smacked my computer there uh, telling <laughs> that story and uh, dislodged all my uh, devices. So um, that's how much I care about the high handle, low handle. It's the playground physics. You pick it up, you're chasing it, you're carrying it. You know, you pick it up to do a carry. It's rolling in front of you, all these sorts of things. So that's why people kind of go for that high handle position, right? And yeah, it shortens the range of motion on a, on a deadlift. We want to make sure that handle position is in a, in a good area, but,
But the low handle position, we actually offset as well. It's just minor subtle. So you're still getting the same range of motion, essentially. It's going to be three-eighths of an inch less, but just, or what's that in millimeters? Uh, you know, like 15 millimeters or something like that. Um, actually, way less than that, like five or something. Anyway, it's offset just enough to get that effect, but still keep the full range of motion. Because see, these subtle little things make a big difference. And so anybody can tell you picking our bar and using it for all these things. And we're not talking just, you know, that. So like, Hey, we have different applications. I talked a lot about major league baseball. You don't have it. We all have different sports, different, like a strong man. We have the option to put a two inch grip on the handle on there. We can make the two inch grip rolling like a rolling thunder style. You've got different populations and different needs and you can create that for that need. And so, so those are the gaps. It's just like the subtle refinements of these things to make it uh, uh, better. So hopefully, at the end of the day, all I've done here in the discussion is, one, open your eyes to the potential of specialty bars, but the also the bigger thing of opening your eyes to the fact that in the strength coaching world, physio, wherever, we get so used to the fact that we have to work around whatever these things are. like. With the Cadillac bar, our multi-grip bar, every time I still have to, like, people automatically are choking. You don't have to do that. Grab the bar in the center of the handles. Like, you don't have to, like, and so it's, I think it's really, yeah, it's just, sometimes it just opens the thinking process a little bit better. And that's where I try to come from. Obviously, uh, you know, my background makes me a little unique into, you know, to create these ideas because, I've got the engineering background. I've got the elite athlete background and I've got tons of, you know, the clinical side education on, uh, you know, developmental kinesiology and neurology and a million, you know, I've been, I've been doing deep dives on this stuff for a long time. So it's a, it's a very unique lens that I come at it from. And that's, I, I think it was why Kabuki is unique. And so I apologize. I did not mean, you know, that all that stuff to come as a sales pitch. I just get so freaking excited. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, and I'd love to uh, channel that last bit of enthusiasm into into a quick case study. So, looking at your your own training, obviously you've you've used these things to to good effect. Can you give us a little case study as to how you can use that in a training program? So, um, maybe some some details and sets, reps, load, whatever, and how that might compare to, for example, a, a straight bar and, and yeah, the benefits that people can get yeah. out of that, but in like a practical sense so that everyone who's listening yeah. to the, the theoretical stuff can be like, oh, you know what? More kilos, better adaptation or whatever. Yeah. So, well, let's talk about the, the training cycle. Well, actually, I trained for five years specifically for my 1,000-pound squat, but the last year was very specific. And particularly the last nine months, like, okay, what are the needs when I get further into this training cycle? Well, you know, the move, the load's going to be a lot higher than the deadlift. Yeah, I've got to have those demands, but being able to fight, you know, those demands to build the upper back strength, right? So what did I do early in that, very early in that cycle? I started doing a lot of uh, uh, front squatting. So I was using the duffalo for front squatting. And then I moved to starting to add another session. And that session was with the transformer bar. And then I moved from the front squat to two sessions of the transformer bar, two different settings. So one was this really forward, super aggressive position and another tailored back to like 
a little less aggressive than a normal safety squat bar, right? To get a little bit more towards that. But again, kind of pushing those factors. Now I did combine a lot of that with a lot of like bent over rowing and, and, and things of that nature, which again, great application for the, the, the trap bar, right? Uh, and the, the goal where is to build that upper back strength to be able to support that load. Then as I got closer to the event, it's like, okay, what can I do? I've got to get more specific. So I started taking the transformer bar closer and closer to a back squat. Then finally, uh, to the duffalo bar. Now it was non-competition what I was going after. So I'm like, fuck a straight bar. I don't give it a rat's ass unless you're stepping on a platform. What is the point of a straight bar for squatting? Right. So I did it in that. Now I would have progressed to that, but usually very last minute. So further example of that, and this is like some of the stuff that led me in this direction is like my talks with Donnie Thompson way back in the day. And what I had found with my own training is that I was using, and he was for the majority of the year, bouncing between uh, a curved bar and a safety squat bar. I had a few different variations. It was before I'd made the transformer. I'd actually welded up my own almost like 20 years ago that were a couple different. I had a couple different settings. And that's where the idea of the transformer bar came from. I'm like, I got to quit doing like, let's make one that just does everything. And uh, but he did the same thing. And it was like for both of us. So Donnie, if you're not aware, set the he was the first person to break the 3000 pound barrier in powerlifting. All right. And again, I was pretty top tier uh, as well. I did hold some all time world records, like I said. Yeah, uh, my, my name's known in, in, in that arena. And we did the exact same thing. Four weeks out from a meet, we switched to a straight bar because that would reduce the cumulative negative load and extend our career. Both of us lifted and did our stuff. Our biggest, our biggest lifts we ever did were 40 to 45 years old. Not the, you know, the, the young bucks that are hitting at a certain age and burn out. Like, yes, there's some, Value specificity is king, but you know, that sport is, it takes a long time to develop this stuff. And so we found that those, you know, using a straight bar all the time was taking such a toll from recovery. How do we, how do we, how do we check outside of that? So those are some excellent, really great examples that deliver that, right? Um, the, 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 the Cadillac bar, for example, just use a straight, use it straight for a, a training cycle. If you've hit a stalling point, guaranteed, I don't care how long you've been stuck there, five years, six years, do one cycle, go back to a straight bar. One, it's going to feel like cheating. <laughs> like, whoa, uh -oh, that, that's all I got to go. But your, your, your pressing will go through the roof. Like it's crazy what it'll do. Now it is an ego crusher. I will warn you about that. Right. Uh, you know, your sets, your reps or stuff like that's going to be fairly similar, except, you know, you will likely find that your recovery abilities, you know, are enhanced and you can look at, you know, but you're going to have to, you have to look at your programming, see what's happening with your numbers, your sub, whether you're using objective or subjective measures uh, to figure out where you're at in your training cycle, right? What your recovery is, but you're going to see a change in that. And so the goal there is, yeah, how do we, how do we add some more, right? Um, obviously for populations that are in pain and stuff like that, like this is, it, it is a, a huge, tremendous thing. You, do, you may just switch like a lot of our clinical settings. That's just what they use. You know, it's a trap bar and a transformer bar for everything. 
I, I think that's that's, a, that's usually in a clinical setting. They're they're focused on those those out you know those outcomes, right? Um, and then yeah, sports performance. And I, I don't know what you do for sets and reps, but it's literally just like you know the things that you can do with a trap bar, especially the single leg movements. The single leg movements are incredible in the sports performance round with what you can do with the trap bar. I did forget to mention the trap bar, which everybody's copying now, by the way, um, is the stand up function. Now, some people say, oh, you copied Alico. Fucking bullshit. They sued me over it and they walked away with their tail between their fucking legs because that's not actually what happened. <laughs> we released our products on the same day and mine was further along in development and to market. And I had my products out there way before you did. Um so anyway, <laughs> but the stand-up function, a lot of people miss like the fact that you're you, you take all this time and you set up and you're in a good position, but then in between every set, you're hunkered over trying to, you know, there's not a great bar jack that works because you don't think about it and you're moving plates on and off, like you know, it the exact time you don't want to, or you're the sports performance coach <laughs> and you're just getting tired because you're doing it for your team members all the time. <laughs> yeah. So that's the funny. That's the money maker. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's where it's different. And yeah, I think so um, does that give you some, does that give you some real world examples? Like uh, for me, overhead pressing. So I have, like I said, I quit powerlifting because of uh, my elbows, and so overhead pressing is like a big challenge for me. But I can actually use um, the you know our, our trap bar for that, and uh, and so that's like my go- I won't you know for overhead pressing. I'm going to use that or cue bells. Um, those are going to be like trying to use a straight bar is just basically impossible for me. So just pure replacement. And that's, that's where it is a lot of times. I think it's a, it's a really interesting example to look at instead of just dogmatically saying, right, this is what we have in the gym and this is therefore how we're going to use it to get adaptations, which is fine. If you've got limited equipment and money, that's okay. Yeah. Um, that's at the end of the day, like make it work. I, I, I've stuck into fundamental stuff instead of designing you know, you can say mine is, has some sort of like, um, I can't, I can't think of the word, uh, novel, novel, right? It's novel. We don't chase novel for the sake of novel. It's all fucking bars and handheld weights, right? You can get it done with everything. And I'm not trying to like convince people otherwise, right? Yeah. But, but it's, it's, not, it's nice to see that um, you could use a straight bar to do a lot of stuff, but potentially, there are other options which will give you, um, yeah, potentially uh, either better range of movement, better quality of movement, or more load, and therefore better adaptations, which is obviously what a lot of people are looking for. So, yeah, then it's uh, it's worth having yeah. a look at, at what's uh, what's out there. Yeah, so, I mean, the reality is you can get better outcomes with it, right? Um, you can still hit your goals absolutely without it. And what are those better out- outcomes? In some areas, it might be two percent, right? Uh, with certain populations, it may be way higher, right? Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's give or take. Um, but the, the message I think around the straight bar use is, is, is the fact that there's so many things that are constantly introduced into our industry that are novel, that are just junk and get disregarded over time. So fundamentally, people that have been in this, you know, this field for a long time are just like, they just don't even pay attention. I, I don't care. It's this. Right. And I get that. And that is very like, that's real. And I, I support that conceptually. But at the same time, like, you know, we're playing within that realm of going, yeah, this is really basic fundamental stuff. And 
you know, at the end of the day, we're just doing a little bit better. Absolutely excellent. So, Chris, massive thanks for your time and effort on today's podcast. I really appreciate it. I think it was a really interesting chat. Uh, where can people find more information about you and what you're doing? Yeah, yeah. So, really easy thing to do. So, all my social media, all my companies, everything, they're linked off of my website. And, well, if we're recording this, you can see my name, Chris Duffin. If you're not, it's Chris Duffin. Duffin is like muffin but with a D, okay? <laughs> Dot com. Very simple. Perfect. And you can take those same words and you plug them into social media and my name will pop up. You don't need to remember. It's like mad scientist, blah, 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 something. It, it varies by platform, but usually that's the standard one I have. The ones I interact uh, the most on uh, is Instagram and LinkedIn. I know LinkedIn sounds kind of funny. Uh, but if you think about all the stuff in the sports performance and clinical worlds, that's actually pretty big uh, for me. But you'll find me on TikTok and Facebook, and I don't even like look at like responses or messages on there, though, un- unfortunately. Um, that's a, that's and, uh, yeah, I've got a blog. I'm releasing some great content, particularly around uh, peptides uh, right now. So I've actually been researching this stuff for not quite 20 years and application kind of behind the scenes with a lot of people in the clinical and high level sports world. And it's just like a gray area stuff. And, but at the end of the day, we're seeing at least in the U S uh, being used in a lot of like uh, clinical or anti-aging. Uh, and a lot of the protocols that I used to promote like 10 plus years ago, I see floating around now, although they're really basic and remedial. My point is I'm diving in this. I really think that this needs to come out of the, the research is just compelling at this point, the application, like I, I've taken people from detaching quads in both legs, being in a wheelchair and having to learn to walk again from date of surgery to deadlifting 700 pounds in 12 weeks. I just had uh, surgery on my elbow, my third el- elbow surgery. Um, I could arguably say it's the, the worst elbow in the U.S., I think, because I had the top elbow guy at the number three clinic in the U.S., who ha- which is arguably the best for for elbows. like. The main guy that does all the the uh, MLB players, he's like, I can't handle this too much. Anyway, that surgery was three weeks ago. Fully opened up my arm, used tools to try to pry the joint apart. Um, you can watch a video I posted yesterday. I'm doing one arm hangs, talking, whatever. I'm 100% recovered three weeks later. So, like, this should become the standard of care. We shouldn't be putting athletes on the field, like, with a cortisone shot and risk of, you know, we have the ability to uh to heal these things and you know we need to tie that with neurological component from the 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 training uh all these other things i have the most comprehensive article there is uh, on the entire methodology and approach to using peptides with the greater uh level of care uh that's out there with uh, uh, all the research backing behind it on my website. And so I hope to be producing more. I don't really get anything out of it, but I just want to, I think it's time for people to start raising their hands and go, this isn't something that should be hidden behind shady doors anymore. Like this is something that should be, a st- I just went for surgery. They should be talking to me about this afterwards, not going, Oh my God, how, how are you so recovered right now? Like that, because I have to do it myself. Right. Um, so that's what I'm trying to do is just be a figure in the industry going, Hey, let's, let's explore this. This isn't anabolic steroid use, you know? Yeah, I've done that. Fuck. 
I squatted a thousand and dead a thousand. Yeah, yeah. But this is legitimate. Like, it's not performance enhancing. This is just like, we have the ability to heal tissue. That's part of it. Sure, it's not all part, you know, not all of it. Like, the injury usually didn't happen from a tissue standpoint. But anyway random sorry <laughs> no i think that's, that's excellent and uh so i'm gonna i'm gonna leave it there because otherwise we're gonna steal your entire day because i think i can talk uh i'll gladly would talk at length a, a load of these topics but chris massive thanks it's been a pleasure and i look forward to speaking again soon all right have a good one thank you very much buddy and that's it once again a massive thanks to chris for all of his hard work on today's podcast i really appreciate it and i'm sure you do at home too before you leave, I'd like to point you in the direction of the Science of Sport Coach Academy. Now, the Coach Academy is an overgrown library of online sports science courses which are broken down into bite-sized chunks, and that means you can fit it in and around your busy coaching schedule. Every time you complete a course, you'll also get a certificate of completion, which means you can prove your ongoing education. So if you're interested in getting into the Science of Sport Coach Academy, you can get there completely for free using the link in the show notes in just a few seconds' time. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, it'd be fantastic if you could recommend us to a coach, a colleague, an athlete, or a friend. That means that we can keep bringing you the best possible guests and the best possible content. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.